Happy Monday to everyone out there in the Locked On NHL world. You're listening to Locked On NHL, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sarah Avampato, also of Locked On Los Angeles Kings. And this week, as we will now be doing every week, I'm joining you to talk about some of the biggest stories going on across the league. My first guest today is Thomas Welch of Locked On Blues, where we talk about the All-Star Game, St. Louis's spin as the center of the hockey world, and how the Blues are surviving without Vladimir Tarasenko. Then Sean Smith of SB Nation's On the Forecheck talks about the Predators living under John Hines. And finally, Harrison Lee of Locked on Jets fills us in on what's up with Dustin Bufflin and the Jets and many other woes this season. So let's jump right into it and welcome Thomas Welch, one of the trio of hosts of Locked on Blues to the show. So the All-Star Game this year for the NHL was held down in St. Louis. Were you able to attend any of the uh, festivities, the game or the skills competition or anything? Um, so unfortunately, I wasn't able to go to the game. Uh, tickets were 300 bucks, and I'm in college right now. Oh so goodness. I couldn't, I couldn't oh, find no, it. I could, yeah, I couldn't find it in the in the salary cap, I guess, to, uh, to fork up 300 bucks for the game. But I did get to go. So my dad got me tickets to the fanfare. Uh, for my birthday back in December. So I went home for that and got to go with him. And that was just uh, just a spectacular event, I feel like. Just like the amount of people that were there were like overwhelming, I feel like, for the venue almost. And even for the uh, staff there, it looked like they were kind of discombobulated. They weren't really expecting like as many people to show up as they did. But it was it was incredible just being around all the hockey fans. Uh, I, I got to meet Wayne Gretzky, get a picture with him. So of course, oh, that's just absolutely nuts. And when I was waiting in line to meet Wayne Gretzky, the guys that were in front of us were from like all the way from Edmonton. So we were talking to them and just really cool getting to meet people like that. I got to talk to Steve Dangle. So like, but yeah, I mean, just beautiful for the city and kind of put St. Louis on display as the uh, heartland of hockey. Yeah, I think that that's something that like I went to the All-Star game when they did it in L.A. a couple years ago. And, you know, I feel like we, the media, Twitter, whatever, like we all kind of roll our eyes at the All-Star game and we're like, oh, this is kind of dumb. Like who watches this? But I had the same experience when I was in L.A. of like there were so many passionate fans from all over the place that it kind of made me reevaluate the way that I thought about the All-Star game as something to kind of poke fun at or that no one wants to watch because people clearly you know, show up for it. And I think it's really cool, especially for St. Louis, now that you guys, you know, had the experience of winning the cup and now again, uh, got to be sort of the center of the hockey world again for a couple of days to show off uh, the team and the fan base in the city. Yeah, absolutely. Just a, just a crazy span of like a year and a half, ton of energy in that city um, that I love so much. But I think you hit it spot on, like, especially going with my dad, like that kind of plays in partially to it too, because like, I'm never going to forget that experience and like years down the road when like, I'm getting old and like all of that stuff, like I'll still remember that time because I spent it with my dad and it's like a father son kind of bonding thing. And you saw like, I saw a lot of families there too. So hopefully um, it had the same effect on them. So the Blues have dealt with a ton of injuries this season, uh, especially to key players. And so the big question that I've had is how have they responded to those injuries? Who is on their way back soon? And then probably most importantly, when do we see Vladimir Tarasenko again? Yeah, so that's that's the big question around uh, Blues Twitter right now is the same thing that you're asking. When do we see Tarasenko back again? And initially they said his injury would take him up to like the like right around the start of the playoffs is when we could expect to see him again. Obviously, Blues fans aren't very fond of that assessment. <laughs> but um, he did post on his Instagram, it was last week or the week before, he was like back on the ice skating. So that's promising. And that kind of puts him ahead of schedule. So we could see him uh, before then. And I think if we do see him before them, and kind of like the timetable that he's on will kind of dictate 
uh, what the Blues do at the trade deadline and whether they want to add a piece uh, to help them push through the playoffs until Tarasenko comes back or they kind of stay pat. So that's promising. Who's been kind of stepping up to fill his shoes since he's been out? Honestly, the whole team. I mean, because like you were talking about, um, they've just been riddled with injuries. Uh, Sammy Blay was out for an extended period of time. Thankfully, he's coming back now, but he was out for a couple of months. Oscar Sundquist is out right now. Mackenzie McEachern seems to be dealing with a lower body injury. Alexander Stingen was banged up. Uh, we saw Colton Pareko go down. So, I mean, take your pick. It seems like everybody's catching the injury bug on the Blues. But guys that are stepping up, uh, Jordan Cairo, obviously a highly touted prospect coming up through our ranks. Uh, saw some time with the team last year, was a black ace for a while. Uh, but this year he's really stepped up. He's gotten top line minutes with uh, Schwartz and Shen. And he just fit right into that mold. Um, kind of thrown on the afterburners, like everyone's ranting and raving about his uh, skating. So that's promising. Alex Petrangelo has been playing out of his mind this year. Um, and I think if John Carlson wasn't an absolute monster, we'd be talking about Petrangelo being in the talks for the Norris Trophy. Um, and then Robert Thomas has made a massive stride this year as well, playing with more confidence. He skates with authority now. It looks like he's willing to try passes that last year he thought like, oh, the coach will get mad at me if I try this and get a turnover. Like, now he's got a lot more confidence with the puck on his stick. Uh, but for me, the most impressive has been uh, Jaden Schwartz, just because uh, last year he kind of went through like a slump where he had like the monkey on his back, couldn't really find the goal. Obviously in the playoffs, it was a different story. But this season, he's on pace for his best season since 2014 in terms of points wise. So uh, he's really he's really taken that under his wing. And I think the team as a whole has stepped up in the absence of Tarasenko, but those guys stick out the most to me. So you touched on this a little bit with guys like Cairo and Schwartz, but overall this season, who has been kind of the most pleasant surprise for you? And then the flip side of that coin, who do you want to see more from coming down the stretch in the season? Yeah, like I was kind of talking about, I think my favorite would be Jordan Cairo personally, just because I'm a big prospect guy. So I like, and even just like seeing all these young guys like Kale McCarr and uh, Quinn Hughes come like directly into the league and like in their rookie year, just like kind of take it by storm. Um, I like seeing that and it kind of goes into how the pace of the game is changing too. like all these young guys coming up and just excelling right away so that they always get me excited. So those would be my top two ones that have kind of made a difference. But in terms of someone who needs to probably step up, um, Zach Sanford struggled a little bit this year. They like giving him top six minutes, but as of late and like after the all-star break, he's kind of, I think he scored a couple of goals and he's kind of gotten his confidence back. He's not thinking about it too much. Uh, he's playing more of his style of game and using that big body of his, but really the biggest disappointment for me would probably have to be Justin Falk just simply because of the trade, what we had to give up for him. I mean, a top guy, first round pick like Dominic Bach. It's a sniper and then immediately to extend him to that big deal with a guy like him as a former all-star and an offensive uh, defenseman, you would like to see a little bit more than 13 points halfway through a season. You want to be patient with him as well. Obviously, he's adjusting to a new system. He was on his offhand positionally for a little bit. So that's got to be different for him, too. But at the same time. You just kind of kind of got to expect more at this point. Awesome. Well, thank you for filling us in today on what's going on with the Blues and sharing uh, your thoughts on the All-Star game. Like I said, I think it's always a good reminder for those of us to get out of our bubble of making fun of it to see how important it really is to fans and to cities. So thanks for sharing that with us. Before yeah, we go, can you tell everyone out there um, where they can find you on Twitter, where they can find the show on Twitter if they want to keep up with more about the Blues? Yeah, so uh, you can follow me on Twitter at twelch. ER15. And my show is obviously Locked on Blues. So 
at Locked On Blues on Twitter, and we also have an Instagram uh, that we try to post to a couple comments and like edit and stuff. So you can follow that on Instagram as well, and that's at Locked On Blues on both platforms. So swing on by. Awesome! Thanks for joining us. Anytime. Thanks again to Thomas for joining me. Right after this, we'll be talking Predators with Sean Smith next on Locked on NHL. But first, let's talk about advertising. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked on to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked on NHL is a great way for your local business to reach passionate hockey fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked on gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners, not just any podcast listener, a Locked on podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with hockey fans and a predominantly male audience that's well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. My second guest today is Sean Smith. He's a contributor at SB Nation's On the Forecheck, which is, of course, their Nashville Predators site. He reports regularly from Predators practices and games, and so has gotten to see a lot of this team and their ups and downs this season. So let's welcome Sean to the show to chat Predators with me. So the Predators made a little bit of a surprise coaching change. What has been the biggest difference in the team since they have moved on from Peter Laviolette? The biggest differences in the way they've played, what you're seeing on the ice, uh, just what's going on with the Predators now? Well, it seems like the Laviolette system really had a different focus in the Hind system. And what the Laviolette system focused on was a high quantity of shots, which typically means you're going to get lower quality of shots. Now, that worked really well for a while for Laviolette and the Predators because taking those big slap shots from the point, you'd have guys chase the puck in and grind it out in the corners or get deflections in front of the net or some nice big juicy rebounds they could take home for a goal. But the Hind system instead focuses on high quality shot, which typically means you're going to get a lower quantity of shots. Now, in a game like Saturday's Vegas game, you had not a lot of quantity because the Golden Knights choked out the slot and they made it difficult to establish possession in the offensive zone. So you were seeing the team trying to do what Hines was telling them to do and trying to get in there and get some high quality shots. But because the slot was choked out, you were really looking at players trying to get anything going so you started seeing okay well we'll take some some lower danger shots from the outside and even then it was a very low quantity of shooting so with that happening that that system wasn't really working but in a game like New Jersey uh, which is an offensive shooting match with questionable defense you get a lot of goals. Do you think that was weird for them to play in New Jersey just having the kind of quick turnaround for John Hines and you know do you think there was any sort of inside intel in meeting his old team uh, so quickly sort of after his hiring? What Hines said after the game was that for him returning back to New Jersey where he'd been for quite a while it was one thing to go in and, and see some of the people that he had developed relationships with. But once the game started, once practice was going on, it was all business. And he seems like a very business-oriented coach. He doesn't really show much emotion. You don't see a lot of wild outbursts from him behind the bench. He certainly seems very even-keeled after games. And so did he gain an advantage over the team because he had coached the team for so long and because his former assistant is still 
coaching the team. If he did, I feel like it wouldn't have been as close of a game as it was. So I don't know if they've made massive changes in New Jersey since he's been gone. I know there have been some personnel changes on the ice, but at least it seems like I would have felt like the result of that game would have been quite a bit different if he'd had the whole playbook memorized. So the Predators right now are kind of just outside the playoff picture and obviously trying to get back into there. What do you think the biggest challenge is to the team to get back into a playoff spot? So one of the things that has been kind of a a big rallying cry amongst the fans in Nashville and even around a lot of the media in Nashville is that the team, both under Hines now, but especially under LaViolette, the beginning of the season, going into last season, even some of the season, even before that, was that the team had a hard time whenever they would face adversity. And if they would go into the second period down, they had a really hard time finding whatever they needed to find in order to come back on the ice in the second period and play tough and get the game back under control. It seemed like once the team was down, they stayed down. And at the same time, even with a lead, they did what everybody around here at least called turtling, you know, where they would basically take a step back and just try to coast on to the end of the game with whatever lead they had, which would get them caught up sometimes and other teams would then take advantage of that kind of laid back style and score so that sometimes that put them in a situation where because they kind of took their foot off the gas they were a few goals ahead that teams would then take advantage of that situation put themselves back in the game and once the predators realized oh no uh, we're tied what are we going to do it was a lot harder for them to get back into that mental state where they wanted to come back and play hard and retake the lead and end up winning the game so one of the major things that Hines has spoken on and he said this pretty much after and before every game, is working on mental toughness. And I I think, you know, the new system, his system compared to LaViolette's system, I think it it suits the team better. I think it gives their skill guys a chance to get in and do some of the things they're very good at in front of the net in order to get goals. But I think the problem is you see guys get down on themselves when the team goes down a couple of goals. And one of the things Coach Hines said after – the game on Saturday night was that you have to realize that you're never going to play a perfect game and maybe you'll get dominated in the first period. So you go in the locker room, you make a couple of tweaks, some minor changes, but you have to come back out with your mindset different to, okay, instead of continuing to go down or instead of just trying to play to not go down by more goals, we've got to come out stronger. We've got to come out in the right mindset to go out and take control of the game again. So with a game like Saturday's against the Golden Knights, you left the first period tied. It was 0-0, zero to zero, but you'd been totally dominated in the offensive zone. So your goal coming back out of the locker room for the second period should be to go out and say, you know what, we're not going to let them do that in the offensive zone. We're going to go out there, clear it out, clear out the slot, and get some high-quality shots, get some high-danger chances in front of the net. But that's not happening. So if the team is going to turn it around, so to speak, and put themselves back into the playoff picture, they're going to have to change their mental state coming out of the locker room after they go down. And and the reality there is that I really thought last week was a big week for that. This past week, you know, needed to win some games and make a statement, but they were about 50-50. And the, the problem there, that means that this week is the week where you're really going to see whether or not they're a team that's going to challenge for a playoff spot. The games that are coming up this week are probably going to be the final chance they have to prove what kind of team they're going to be going into the playoffs. If they win big, they get six points or so, and they end up putting themselves back into the picture, you may see the team become a team that wants to contend for a solid playoff run. 
But if they don't get those points this week, this is probably when you're going to see a team that's going to say, well, this isn't the year we're going to make it to the playoffs and make a big run for the Cup. So let's take a step back, maybe sell off some assets in order to get some prospects down the road. I really like that focus that he that you mentioned that he has on you can't play a perfect game, which I think is something that um, a lot of you know bubble teams or teams that are just kind of trying to rebuild uh, could really stand to hear that message because I, I I've having watched a lot of teams at the bottom half of the standings this year. Uh, I think there's right. a lot of teams that could use that reminder between periods of, you know, one, no one is going to play a perfect 60 minutes. It doesn't matter who you are, how great you are, or how mediocre you are. Like you have a fresh chance to start over at the beginning of the next period. So I really like that message from him. So you touched a little bit on it about sort of the trade deadline. And I know that you said that, you know, the picture will become a little bit clearer fairly soon as to what do you think the Predators are going to do. If you think they move anybody, who do you think are the most likely candidates to be shipped out at the deadline? Okay. Well, this is one of those questions that's really hard to answer from a, a personal standpoint because you have to maybe look at losing some players that have been on the team for a while and maybe fans have a very strong connection to. So my fear is, and I, I, I don't use that term lightly because I have a lot of family members, uh, clearly, who are very invested in this player due to his name, but Craig Smith is someone whose name I think comes up pretty quickly because he has an expired contract at the end of the season, and I think he still has some value out there, and you could probably get something good in return for him. At the same time, Mikhail Granlund, even though he's not had the greatest start to the year, has finally started heating up a little bit under the Heinz system. And with his expiring contract, I feel like he would be a pretty strong candidate for someone that they would ship out. Well, that is going to be very exciting to watch down the stretch. Thank you so much for joining me today on the show. Can you tell everyone out there where they can find you, where they can find On The Forecheck out there on the internet? Uh, yes, you can find On The Forecheck at www.ontheforecheck.com if you want to follow me and hear all of my strange takes on hockey as well as I usually have some good post-game interviews and I also do a pre-game show called Predators Game Plan. You can find me at S-C-S-O-T-F and that's S as in Sean, C as in Christopher, S as in Smith, O-T-F, which is on the forecheck on Twitter. Awesome. Thank you so much and good luck to the Predators down the stretch. Oh, thank you. I think we're going to need it. So (laughs) definitely take the luck. Thanks again to Sean for jumping on the show. After the break, Harrison Lee of Locked on Jets joins to break down the Jets season so far. The Winnipeg Jets have had a tough season, and that's not even counting the Dustin Bufflin-related drama. My final guest today is Locked on Jets host Harrison Lee, who joins me to help figure out just what's going on in Winnipeg. So I know that this is kind of a fluid, ongoing situation, but it kind of keeps cropping up in the news every so often. So for anyone who is not deeply immersed in the Jets, what is up with the Dustin Bufflin situation? Well... The long and short of it is, as most people are are aware, he's been away from the team for a couple of months now. Uh, It started in the offseason where he was suspended by the team. He didn't really report for training. He wasn't skating. And now it's come out from Elliot Friedman that he's probably done for the season. Anyone who's probably, uh, at least a Jets fan, has has been keeping close tabs because I think our team's defense is is something of a wreck and, and Bufflin's been a big contributor. So his absence was immediately noticeable. Uh, he's still got like a, I think a year or so on his contract and uh, his cap hit is about 7.6 million. So his future with the team in the current present and his cap hit all kind of play a bearing on the direction of this team going forward. So for now, we're all kind of in a holding pattern. They said we're going to receive some sort of an announcement uh, over the next couple of weeks about his, his status going forward. But I think everyone who really cares 
has probably felt privately that he's not coming back. I would honestly be surprised if he if he really plays for the Jets again. He might request a trade, but if he doesn't, he might actually retire and just kind of hang up the skates. So that does bring me to kind of a question that I think ties into what you said about the Jets defense being kind of a little bit of a, a struggle. And so the Jets obviously not doing quite as well this season, I think, as people had hoped. And what would you think is sort of behind their struggles this year? Is it injuries uh, to guys like Bufflin or others? Is it players kind of not performing up to the expectations? Is it coaching or is it something else, all of the above? I think the the, the basic point that most people look at will be the defense because we lost Jacob Truba to the New York Rangers and then we lost Bufflin uh, and even a couple of seasons ago after the 2017-2018 playoffs we lost Toby Enstrom and I think people are starting to realize that Enstrom especially on the left side of our defense was arguably our most complete shutdown defenseman and we've never really had somebody to replace him so we've now lost three high-level NHL caliber defensemen over the past two seasons and the Jets really didn't have a great plan to replace any of these guys. The Bufflin thing was a little bit more of a surprise, although I have heard rumors on and off that this was a situation that was starting to build up over the past couple of months, um, even before the announcement that he was suspended by the team. I don't know how reliable those rumors are, but I think the defense is the first issue. And then Shevel Dayoff really wasn't able to to find any solutions other than Lucas Abisa, Anthony Batetto, and Neil Pionk. And, and to be fair to Pionk, he's actually been pretty decent for the Jets. He might actually have a slightly better overall impact than Jacob Truba, uh, which is you know a bit of a hot take, but Pionk's been very solid. Batetto and Sabisa, uh, unfortunately, they're not really... Uh, top four defensemen at some times, you know, it's hard to say that they're even third pairing guys, but you know, they're warm bodies. And I think that that's what the Jets are kind of relying on. And then the coaching staff has tried to compensate by making the Jets play like a really defensive grindy style of hockey, but this roster is not really cut out for it. And our forwards tend to sit really deep and have to absorb a lot of pressure to, to spring like a counter and a breakout. But that style with the Jets doesn't really work if your defensemen can't clear the area around the crease and your forwards kind of are, are lost in your man zone like hybrid coverage system. So more often than not, the puck's in the back of the net. The only guy who's probably holding us up right now has been Connor Hellebuck and some lucky goal scoring, but I don't know. It's pretty rough. We have a couple of injuries now with with Adam Lowry out for at least a couple more weeks, and Brian Little sustained like a brain hemorrhage after he took a slap shot off the side of his head a, a couple of weeks ago. So he's still on the sidelines. Things are uh, a little bit grim, and our, our, our thin defense is even thinner right now because... We're still without Tucker Pullman. And then we sent Vili Heinola overseas. So I don't know that there's a, a single part of the Jets that isn't in some way a little bit half crippled at this point. What's up with Patrick Laine? <laughs> <laughs> Patrick Laine is, is an unusual case because last season he had one of his worst career years. And I think a lot of people were thinking, oh my gosh, wow, he looks terrible. And he's, a, he's like the worst player on the Jets and he's holding everyone back. What was kind of interesting was I, I watched almost every single game last season, and what it, it was more like the Jets were trying to turn him into a power forward and having him do things like neutral zone transitions, um, offensive zone entries, puck carrying, and, and basically creating breakouts on his own. When he was with Brian Little and Jack Roslovic, those guys tended to be a, li a little bit more passive in the zone transition scheme. And like I think everyone knows that Liney is not exactly the fastest skater. Uh, he's got a lot of finesse to his game. 
He's got excellent stick handling and deception, but as far as being fleet of foot, he's not exactly Nick Ehlers. So I, I think that that whole transition really didn't work out that well. But he spent a lot of time in the offseason working on uh, things like his passing and distribution. And now he's become a much more complete forward. But unfortunately, because he's passing a lot more and he's using, he's essentially setting up his line mates more than he's taking individual shots. His goal totals have gone down. And the power play unit right now has um, what I would describe as a very inefficient system because usually Bufflin on the, was like the, the right-handed defenseman at the point who would cycle it over to, to line A. But Pionk hasn't really figured out that you're supposed to pass to line A, which se- seems kind of obvious. But uh, yeah, those, those passes kind of have the, the sauce of, uh, of a very slow turtle. And those, those shots are always read and, and intercepted by the goalkeeper or defender. So Line A can probably point fingers at his teammates more than anything, but I think he's been one of our best overall forwards this season. That's a really good change from last year because I feel like I remember seeing a lot of Jets being like, let's just trade him. He's terrible now. Uh, so at least he's kind of come around in his game, I think is probably promising for, for Jets fans, even if everything else looks a little bit, a little bleak. Yeah, the trade line A thing, uh, let's just say that I have a lot of thoughts about that, and they were not very happy when I kept reading it about 10 times a day. <laughs> that'll, that'll, we'll bring you back later on in the year, and we'll, we'll, see, we'll see if those uh, come back at all. <laughs> oh, Lord, I hope not, because I will have many angry thoughts. <laughs> so the Jets obviously not performing where they want to be this year. They're not in the standings where they want to be. Are you surprised with where they're at? Or is this kind of about what you expected of the team going into the year? Actually, I'm surprised, but probably not for the reasons that people imagine. They are really highly ranked in the standings considering how badly they've played. Uh, the Jets are, I have to be honest, they're one of the worst teams to watch at least until the past couple of, of, of games, they were one of the worst teams in the NHL that I've ever seen. And it wasn't because that there was a lack of skill necessarily. They just played a style of hockey that at almost every level didn't work for their roster. And so they really couldn't create any offense. And when they did get into the offensive zone, there was no energy to attack the low slot area. So everything was perimeter passing. The Jets did a lot of skating. They just didn't turn it into actual offense and scoring. And then you have the the penalty kill, which has been something of a nightmare for years. It's even worse this season because, I don't know, Anthony Potato, Lucas Abisa, and then even Kyle Connor. Paul Maurice tends to call on guys who really can't kill penalties and ask them to do it all the time. So not exactly ideal. Uh, Mark Shifley's defensive game has taken a real dip, to put it lightly. So I feel like Connor Hellebuck has masked almost all of the flaws of this team. I mean, the fact that he's even above a 905 save percentage, given how bad this team is and how many games he's played is something of a miracle. I think the Jets deserve to be much lower in the standings. And the fact that they're within like three points of a wild card spot really is owed to Hellebuck's performance this season. So do you think there's anything they can do to save their season or is it too late and they should be looking toward the lottery spot? Uh, I'm really tired. I'm really mixed on this question because on the one hand, I don't want them to be buyers. I think that that's the mistake that they're going to make and they're going to invest assets in guys that the Jets just don't really need and aren't going to fix the situation. When we got Kevin Hayes last year, I was actually pretty excited about it because 
Hayes, even though people kind of make fun of him for some of the stuff he's done off the ice, he's actually still a pretty skilled scorer and he's a very effective NHLer. When he was with the Jets, he was actually one of our highest primary points generators for 60 minutes. Unfortunately, Maurice did not like him because when you watch Hayes, he's a little bit soft in the corners and he's not really a heavy four checker. So I think Maurice kind of took that as him being lazy and he kind of got stuck on the fourth line, which is when you when you pay when you pay a first round prospect pick uh, in a in a pretty deep draft, and you take the guy that you were supposed to rely on to be your replacement for Paul Stastny in the offseason, and you put him on the fourth line, not exactly the most ideal of situations. And I'm just kind of afraid that the Jets are going to do that again. Maurice said that he doesn't want to bring in anyone, as far as I can tell. He said that they don't want to spend too much, which to me tells me that he's got the say in this whole situation and. He thinks the same thing, that it'd be a wasted effort. I would also assume that it means his job is safe going forward if, if he's not too concerned about that. So they can turn it around with internal improvements. And it looks like over the past couple of games, the games against the Bruins and the Blues were both actually very competent. One was a loss, one was a victory. I would say that the Jets looked more like an actual NHL team, which they haven't in a, in a couple of months. So, you know, if they if they continue to improve, I mean, the West is a pretty weak division over or weak conference overall. The Central is a better division than the Pacific, but again, the Jets should be able to uh, to get standings points if they play at least competently over the next couple of weeks. If they fall out, I guess they should sell, but I don't even know who you sell. I mean, your most valuable asset's probably Neil Pionk on the expiring contracts list. And then you could try to move Bufflin if he's even if he's even capable of being moved. But I think Winnipeg is in the odd spot of being in a sort of limbo. Uh, and the only way that they're really going to improve internally is to either call up some of the guys that are on the moose with some talent and, and see if they can reinforce their back end or just kind of ride it out and see what happens with the current squad. Because the trade deadline waiver wire and, and trade block is pretty thin at this point. Like Jean-Gabriel Pajot is maybe the best player that you can acquire other than Chris Kreider. And I think Kreider just had a concussion yesterday. So yeah, I think the Jets just kind of need to stay in pat because there's not going to be a whole lot available for them to improve. Well, that is not quite as bleak as I had expected for a Jets uh, perspective, but also uh, it's not looking too beautiful up there in Winnipeg. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit of both in some respects. I mean, there is a bleak side where things can very quickly spiral out of control. I, I don't know that we're 100% there yet, but if they kind of go back to the way that they were playing in the early part of the season where they were literally the worst team in the NHL, not named Detroit, we might have some concerns going forward. If they play at least, and this is basically all I've asked for, was is for the team to look competent and fun. That's all I want. Like if they if they suck and keep losing, but they play fun hockey, I'm fine with that because the draft pick that we'll have will be a pretty decent higher up pick. But if they keep playing boring stuff that's an absolute slog to watch, it just it demotivates me and I don't really have any desire to sit through it because the Jets, when they play like their defensive turtle hockey, it's actually worse than watching the Anaheim Ducks from a couple of seasons ago under Carlisle. As a Pacific Division person, I know exactly what you mean. And that's like it physically pains me to to think about that. <laughs> It's been that bad. It has been that bad. It, it stretches. So, Ooh. Oh, no. Well, we will hope that you get at least some fun hockey coming down the stretch. Uh, for anyone out there who's listening who wants to get more on the Jets train to find out where you and your show are, uh, let people know where they can find you and Locked on Jets on the internet. You can find our podcast Twitter handle at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Apologies for the extremely long handle, but we have to have a, a nice differentiator between us and our our wonderful NFL uh, Jets podcast. And then if you feel like following my rantings about the Jets, I have my personal Twitter at HL Living Loco. And we podcast, of course, every day. 
And I usually try and vary up the topics. And recently we've been talking about some some prospects and stuff, which might might be more important over the next few weeks if the Jets kind of start slipping out of the playoff spot. So we'll kind of see how the Jets go. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Locked On NHL. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Harrison, Sean, and Thomas for joining me this week. We'll be back next week with three new guests to help break down the latest and greatest in the NHL. Until then, you can follow me on Twitter at Right Said Sarah. That's W-R-I-T-E said Sarah with an H. You can also, of course, follow this show at Locked On NHL on Twitter. You'll never miss a show. You'll get to hear me. You'll get to hear our great interviews, our division highlights all throughout the week. So make sure you're following along there there. And of course, if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed to Locked on NHL. You can search for it in basically any podcast app or program or site or whatever. We are there for you. Just go find us and hit that big subscribe button and make sure you never miss a single episode. And of course, tell all your friends all about it. If you've got a hockey fan in your life, make sure they're listening to Locked on NHL as we bring you hockey content five days a week here on Locked on NHL, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.